Welcome to the Humanity Matters broadcast. I'm Dr. Philip Fletcher, your host, where we discuss and reflect on theology, philosophy, nonprofit leadership, and social justice. This is the podcast where we wrestle with the important question, what does it mean to be human? Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Dr. Philip Fletcher, and we're here to have a discussion on poverty. This is the Humanity Matters broadcast, and for about the next hour, uh, we're going to talk about poverty as it relates in the United States, specifically in Arkansas. My approach is we're going to offer a background, uh, look at our context, Definitions of poverty, what it looks like in our state, individual society, understandings, solutions, and then also uh, be able to take your questions. So I want to open this up to everybody to participate. Hey, uh, especially if you live in Arkansas, and especially if you live around the Faulkner County uh, area, I would invite you to invite others to join this discussion. It'll be one part of me talking Uh, but then also an opportunity to take some questions relating to an important economic situation regarding poverty. Uh, So some background. Uh, Earlier this weekend, uh, Representative uh, Stephen Meeks uh, on his Twitter, I don't follow him on Twitter, uh, but uh, I saw it uh, reposted uh, from somebody on Facebook, Representative Stephen Meeks Uh, said this, and I quote uh, from his Twitter, "Uh, being poor in America is a personal choice unless there are mitigating circumstances. A homeless man can go to school, get a job driving a truck, making $70,000 per year, and in 20 years, become a millionaire. In America, you can work hard and change your future. Then he hyphens if you if you chose, excuse me, close quote. So uh, as a result of that, uh, Mr. Meeks uh, received a lot of criticism and pushback on his Twitter statement. Now, Twitter only gives you uh, some 200 odd so characters to make a statement. And uh, I understand myself uh, over the years, you have to be able to say what it is that you need to say in a Uh, concise um, manner and hopefully be understood. So um, on 11-18-18, this is yesterday at 12-44, he sent out a a follow-up tweet. And I quote, yesterday I sent out a poorly worded tweet expressing my belief in the American dream. Based on the responses, there are a lot of people who believe the American dream is out of reach. That is something we need to change. I apologize to anyone I offended. That was not my intent. So, uh, Mr. Meeks, I I am sure in response to the pushback that he was getting, uh, chose to give out this tweet. And before moving forward, uh, these are some of the responses that uh, he received uh, from persons on Twitter. Now, since Twitter is public, I'm going to... 
use the names that were used, the Twitter handles, and read their statements. And uh, the reason I'm doing this because I want to give people a sense as to how people respond, um, especially in our day and age right now, uh, to something they may or may not agree with. And so uh, this is just a snapshot. I took some screenshots of people's responses. Uh, one, Petra Rutherford III, uh, at Pith J. Real, he said this, and I quote, replying to Stephen Meeks, uh, vote this man out, Arkansas. Uh, next, stand the man. Uh, believe me, some of us have tried and tried and tried. Unfortunately, Arkansas is a cult 45 state, and the GOP has a stranglehold on the votes of the misinformed. Uh, Raymond Baker said, nice spin, Stephen, but we're not buying it. Your tweet wasn't poorly worded, quote, unquote, and you weren't expressing any belief in the American dream. Rather, you said the poor choose to be poor and it's their fault they're poor. Jesus doesn't like a liar. Uh, from a Sarshimus, uh, quote, yesterday I publicly revealed that I loathe the poor and working class. Today I vow to continue to feel that way, but privately, unquote. So Sarshimus was um, seeking to interpret the motives of Representative Stephen Meeks. Um, Tim Jackson, since this is the route you want to take, please explain to us which part of your tweet was poorly worded. What part of the original tweet are you now saying doesn't accurately reflect your belief? Uh, a Ross no, no Rick. Uh, quote, it just shows how totally out of touch you and your colleagues are. Everything sounds good in theory. You haven't lived like a typical American in quite some time. So you should be so quick to tell us how and what we can do. And as I finish up, um, Representative Barbara Lee for Speaker of the House. Thanks for speaking up. People that believe the dangerous things this man believes need to be educated. Don't stop until either they learn or are replaced, preferably the latter. Uh, Catherine Silver Kelly. You still think anyone can go from poverty to wealth? I'm sure you voted to ensure access to health care, increase minimum wage, raise teacher salaries, and end uh, cash bail. Uh, and C, take your and I quote, take your apology and shove it. You're exactly what's wrong with the GOP. This is why my 94-year-old dad left the GOP after 50 years. This is why my husband left the GOP after 30 years in support of Trader Trump. In your lack. And so uh, those are some of the responses to uh, Representative Stephen Meek's original uh, quote. And, I, and I'll read it again. Being poor in America is a personal choice unless there are mitigating circumstances. A homeless man can go to school, get a job driving a truck, making $70,000 per year, and in 20 years become a millionaire. In America, you can work hard and change your future hyphen if you chose. So, uh, so that's the background of what we're going to talk about. And I think the underlying thing is, uh, that we need to investigate and seek to understand is this situation about poverty, the economic conditions, specifically in Arkansas to a broader degree, the United States, and even to a broader degree, uh, poverty in a global context is who's responsible for poverty conditions, and then who's responsible uh, 
in regards to moving out of those conditions into non-poverty type uh, conditions. And so uh, secondly, I think it's important that we understand uh, our context. So I'm gonna use my dry erase board uh, back here. I'm gonna shift uh, the camera. And so I hope you're patient with me uh, for a few minutes. Somebody told me, is like, hey, can you give us a little education on where you're coming from and how you arrive at some of the things you're arriving at? Uh, so I think it's important uh, for us to understand America. All right, so America was essentially founded in 1776. Okay, America uh, was founded as a small minority of um, obviously European men uh, from Britain Britain, uh, sought to establish uh, a new nation uh, on the continent of North America. Uh, This continent was already inhabited by uh, persons categorized demographically as Native Americans. Uh, And in that context, uh, these uh, European men sought to establish a new nation. And so in 1776, uh, a Y was written, all right? And that Y is the Declaration of Independence. All right, and essentially, uh, that Declaration of Independence was a a clarion call. Imagine, if you will, it was the equivalent to Martin Luther's 95 Thesis being nailed on the Wittenberg door. Um, uh, The Declaration of Independence uh, was the declaration to uh, Britain and to the king uh, that because of his actions of taxation without representation, of uh, property being seized, uh, limitations on speech, so on and so forth, a quartering of soldiers in people's homes, um, that uh, these individuals sought to say, hey, you know what? We are declaring our independence uh, from England. And as a result of that, one of the things that was highlighted was this, um, this belief that every individual, now that's key, every individual had the opportunity to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so because of all those whys, the Declaration of Independence, um, 1776, it was a shot, you know, made round the world, if you will, that uh, people were going to determine their way, uh, not some uh, theocracy or a, a monarchy was going to determine their way. And so that was the why. That why became a how. Well, how was that going to happen? Well, uh, later on, what was framed was the U.S. Constitution. All right. And so if the why was the Declaration of Independence of this nation existing, how the nation was going to be uh, ran Uh, It was going to be conducted through the Constitution. And so you've got we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, you know, establish justice, promote uh, the general welfare, ensure domestic tranquility. Okay, Uh, and then it lays out 10 Bill of Rights. Okay, and so, you know, freedom of speech, freedom uh, for this. There is no government establishment of a religion. Everybody can practice whatever it is they need to practice. Uh, There's the right to bear arms. Um, uh, there's the right to due process, uh, so on and so forth. Um, and then the final 10th amendment was that 
as states were being developed, uh, each state had the power to determine its course. Anything that was not uh, expressly laid out in the Constitution for the federal government to do, it was reserved for the states. And so the federal government had like this much to do and the states had greater latitude as long as it was in accordance with how the United States Constitution was run. Now, the Constitution had its flaws, right? It justified slavery. Um, yeah, so that had to be changed. Um, you know, voting had to be adjusted, so on and so forth. And that's why we've got amendments, okay? So we've got the why, we've got the how. But the other thing that we need to consider in our context is this. Individualism. Individualism in the United States is huge, like huge. Um, it's part of our culture. It's, it's, it's mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. It is woven throughout the United States Constitution. Um, so this idea that each, each person uh, is believed to be self-made, okay? There is not an emphasis on what would be considered collective, right? Whereas um, Britain um, would be seen more collective or uh, you had one person determining how uh, people were to live or if you move further uh, east in more of the ancient Near East, if you look at Africa and many of the nations within Africa, that was a more of a collective. The society took preeminence over the individual, whereas in America, the individual uh, takes preeminence over uh, the society. And this is the culture in which um, America is. OK, and it is it is woven. Uh, if we really paid attention in everything that we do and everything that we say, think about it. Entrepreneurs, that's the big thing nowadays. That's an individual. And then it's multiple individuals getting together in order to do something uh, to benefit uh, society. We think about uh, our award ceremonies, right? Think about sports, for instance. Uh, yeah, there's team sports, say like football um, or basketball. And so there's a lot of discussion right now. Who's the MVP, right? That's an individual award. An uh, in NFL, people are talking about Drew Brees. Uh, we think about basketball, you know, LeBron James. Uh, we think about, you know, baseball. You know, there's one individual that's singled out as being, you know, the man or the woman. We think about a Serena Williams or a, a Simone Biles. And so uh, individualism is a huge aspect of our culture. So I'm saying all this. This is our context. Okay. We, we're not in a context of a collectivist society. It is not in our society uh, from the beginning to look at our situation and how we approach one another, how we approach solutions from a collective point of view, uh, but it's more from a individual point of view. So with all that in regards to context, I hope you would keep that in mind as to understanding why uh, Representative Stephen Meeks said what he said in regards to being poor in America and making a choice, but also his reference to 
him expressing the American dream. You know, I grew up the American dream. You know, you go to school, graduate college, you get married, you get a house, 2.5, you know, two kids and a half and a half was a dog. And then you work for some odd years and then you retire. That is, quote unquote, the American dream. OK, but it's from an individual understanding. Um, the concept of what is called the self-made man or woman, uh, that is an individual understanding. You know, I did this. I did that. I made the, the choices to get where I'm supposed to be. And uh, regardless of the circumstances, um, I make that choice and I can't make any excuses if I choose not to better myself. And so individualism uh, is huge. And I think we need to take that into consideration as we are understanding uh, one another. So uh, looking at the background context, now poverty. Background on myself. Um, for the last 11 years, I have uh, dedicated uh, myself to working among people who are uh, what would be considered in impoverished conditions. All right. Uh, focusing on education, housing, community development uh, through my organization, the City of Hope Outreach. Um, I've read a lot, researched, and but then most of all, life experiences with people, uh, eating with men, women and children who are in situations like that, uh, hearing their hopes and their dreams, hearing their failures, hearing their desire to want to change. And I'll be honest here in some desires not to change. Um, it is a very nuanced situation that is going on in uh, persons and communities uh, that are in impoverished conditions. Um, it is not a one size fits all, uh, just like there's not a one size fits all for middle class persons. It's not a one size fits all for those who are in the upper echelon of income. Um, there is no uh, blanket statement that can or should be made about any group of people because of the great amount uh, of diversity this way and this way. All right. And so uh, it's important that I think we keep this in mind. And so um, be referencing some things here to help our discussion. And so the Census Bureau, the United States Census Bureau, uh, has a uh, official uh, definition and understanding of poverty. And I'm reading this from uh, the Poverty Center at UC Davis. And I'm quoting here for your education. The Census Bureau also provides data using ratios that compare the income levels of people or families with their poverty threshold. All right. And so a household income of 100% of their poverty threshold is considered above poverty level. Income above 100%, but below 125% of poverty is considered quote, near poverty, households with incomes at or below 100% are considered in poverty. Household incomes below 50% of their poverty threshold are considered to be in severe or deep poverty. All right. Uh, from the Census Bureau, they say this, and, and I quote, following the Office of Management and Budgets uh, Statistical Policy Directive 14, the Census Bureau uses a set of money income thresholds that vary by family size and composition to determine who is in poverty. If a family's total income is less than the family's threshold, 
then that family and every individual in it is considered in poverty. The official poverty thresholds do not vary geographically, but they are updated for inflation using the CPI. That's the Consumer Price Index. The official poverty definition uses money income before taxes, so that's the gross, and does not include capital gains or non-cash benefits such as public housing, Medicaid, and food stamps, which are uh, government assistance type uh, programs. And so according to the Census Bureau, the income used to compute poverty status includes before taxes. Um, and you can go to the census.gov uh, to see this information. They talk about earnings, unemployment, compensation, workers' comp, Social Security, SSI, which is Supplemental Security Income, public assistance, veterans payments, survivor benefits, pensions or retirement income, interest, dividends, rents, royalties, income from estates, trust, education assistance, alimony, child support, assistance from outside the household, other miscellaneous sources. This is the money income that the Census Bureau uses to determine families or individuals who are at the poverty level, below it, in severe poverty or near poverty. Money, income they don't measure, capital gains or losses, uh, like I said, non-cash benefits such as food stamps, housing subsidies, and tax credits. All right. So what are we talking about as far as numbers? Okay. So the Center for Poverty Research at UC Davis says this. All right. So this is based off of uh, 2016. And, and I quote here. $12,486 for a single individual under the age of 65. All right. Now, what about with children, uh, a couple? All right. $14,507, a household of two people with a householder 65 years or older with no children. And then for a family of four with two children who are under the age of 18, $24,300. And $39. And so those are the current uh, poverty thresholds as of uh, dated 2016. And so uh, those are the poverty definitions from uh, the U.S. Census Bureau. Um, from an income status, uh, a definition that I use for poverty is that poverty is the inability to make a meaningful choice to affect one's uh, situation. And in, in that definition, what I'm considering is not just money, uh, but what I'm also considering is uh, social networks. I'm considering education. Uh, I'm considering a political situation. I'm considering uh, the laws that are in place uh, that prevent people from moving up uh, and changing their situation. And so we need to take that uh, into consideration. What about our own state? And so Arkansas is about... 18% poverty, uh, one in five kids are uh, food insecure. And that's our situation. Now, uh, circling back around again, as we are discussing, for those who are joining us, um, we're having a discussion on poverty, and it's a result of Representative Stephen Meek's tweet that went out uh, on November 17, 2018, in which he stated, and I quote, being poor in America is a personal choice unless there are mitigating circumstances. A homeless man can go to school, get a job, driving a truck, making $70,000 per year, and in 20 years become a millionaire. 
In America, you can work hard, change your future, hyphen, if you chose. And so if you have any questions regarding this, you know, please go ahead and post them and then we will get to them uh, eventually. And so let's get to the crux of the matter since we understand our context in which we are talking about here. Context, we live in America, 1776. The why is the Declaration of Independence. The how is the U.S. Constitution. Uh, we are a society that values individualism over a collectivist type society. That's the context in which uh, we live. My experiences have been this. In the 11 years uh, that I have been uh, working and serving with persons who are in, uh, who meet one of the income thresholds that is laid out by the U.S. Census Bureau, I have seen a wide range of persons. I have heard a wide range of stories that uh, move you to remember uh, the death of humanity that is in every individual, regardless of their economic situation. Prior to my work with uh, persons in uh, poverty conditions, um, I didn't have a thought about the poor when I was in the military. And so, you know, my mind was, you know, focused on fighting and winning the nation's wars um, and defending uh, the Constitution of the United States and fighting alongside my battle buddies. But uh, when uh, God and his sovereignty put me in a trailer park uh, to then see the <clears throat> economic conditions of people, uh, to see their housing conditions, to see um, the choices that they had to make in order to survive, uh, my eyes were open to a whole world uh, that exists inside uh, the state of Arkansas, but also um, the country as a whole. Um, as I said, we've, our, my organization focuses on education, housing, and community development. Now, uh, a lot of that came with one, uh, kids you know, were struggling with uh, reading, and so we wanted to provide uh, help with that. As far as housing, um, our city is is uh, struggling with uh, providing their resources uh, to appropriately address homelessness in our city. I think it could be greatly improved if we had the will, uh, but that's a choice we're making at the end of the day. Uh, and then community development. One of the things I understood is um, people need better places to live. They need a better quality of life environment in which to live. Um, I think every human being, uh, by right of being a human being, uh, should have the opportunity and live in a situation in which they are, they have the opportunity to flourish as much as they want to, free of as many obstacles as possible. Now, going back to the, the, the wide range of persons that I've met and the wide range of experiences. <clears throat> so I have met persons 
who are fighters. Um, they work two jobs, single moms, some cases, single dads, um, that takes them out of the house, especially when they, you know, they have children and they are doing the best they can with what they've got. Secondly, speaking of the children, the many children that we work with, the children that I have talked to, um, they did not dial up like I want to be born, you know, in this house, this address, in this neighborhood, in this state. Um, none of us have that choice. We are born where we are born. Um, and so in that situation, the many children that we work with, none of them chose to be poor. Okay. None of them chose that situation at all. Excuse me. But even these children, they did the best with what they've been given. So that's there. All right. Also, I've met persons who uh, have ended up at our house, our Hope Home, Conway Hope Home, Coho Hope Home for Men. All right. Uh, Who have ended up on the streets. Uh, one, because of choices they did make, which uh, had them end up incarcerated and then released. Um, and then they had to find some place to stay. Met persons who have, uh, and that we've helped, who ended up on the street because of medical situations. Couldn't pay their medical bills. Uh, that weight crushed them financially uh, to the point where they were on the street. I have met persons uh, because of divorce, men and women, um, who have ended up on the street. That because of that divorce, it took a toll on them. I have met with and worked with persons because of drug use. They have ended up on uh, the street and we're in need of some type of assistance. And then I've met persons. Um, and then I think this is the hard discussion to have. And so on one level, I'm thankful for Representative Meek's tweet. Would I've said it the way he said it? No, but I'm still thankful because it did stimulate, I think it stimulated another discussion. I've met persons who have been offered help, offered the opportunity uh, to take that next step to change their situation, and persons have chosen not to. Um, for some, uh, they did not want to follow the the rules. Okay, uh, for some, it's too difficult. Uh, for others, uh, they valued, I'm going to be honest, the freedom 
of of being, and I'm speaking specifically of those, some homeless situations, they valued the freedom of being on the street and moving where it is they wanted to move without being encumbered by a lot of the the system, if you will. Um, They saw that as their freedom. What I'm trying to establish is this. And it it goes back to my first statement, uh, opening up, is that there is so much life, so much of life dynamics that are happening among uh, persons in poverty situations that um, it requires persons who are not in those situations Uh, To get on the ground, I always call it to get off your horse, to get into the Jericho Road and understand the whole situation. Because every situation is somewhat different. Why? Because we're dealing with people. And so... Looking at Representative Stephen Meek's statement, looking at his apology, considering uh, some of the responses, I, I, I ask myself, um, you know, what is the way forward? Which now moves me into my next uh, discussion about how we view the poor. Once again, we are talking about Representative Stephen Meek's tweet on eleven seventeen considering that poverty is a personal choice unless there are uh, mitigating circumstances. Uh, If you have a question, hey, just post it up and I will be answering it uh, live, but also throughout the day. Um, This will also be available on the podcast, Humanity Matters Broadcast, and it's available on iTunes and Google Play and Spotify. And so how do we view the poor? Understanding uh, that from, I believe, from Representative Stephen Meeks, and I've met him and I've talked to to him uh, before. uh, He's coming from the standpoint of the culture of the United States of America of being uh, affirming uh, each individual and each individual having the God-given right uh, to pursue whatever course it is that they want to in life. And so beginning there, your solutions are going to flow out of that. Obviously, if you begin with a collectivist understanding of life and uh, human interaction, if that's your primary uh, worldview, then your solutions are going to flow from there. And so for Representative Stephen Meeks, um, more than likely, uh, his solutions would be less uh, government interaction Uh, from somebody who is more collectivist, more uh, societal government intervention interaction. How do we view the poor? Um, So these are one of the things that's been frustrating for me over the years. Um, And this comes from persons um, who lean a little bit more to the left, 
uh, in regarding their political persuasion in life and also those on the right and their political persuasion in life. Those in their faith that are more to the left and those in their faith that are more to the right. Um, if you stand back and look, we view the poor. So I'm saying we, because I was there. Okay. Uh, we view the poor as children. We take a paternalistic approach to the poor. It's almost as if a, you know, a pat on the head, we need to help these poor people. Okay. There is a lack of affirmation of the dignity that already exists within these men, women, and children. There is a lack of acknowledgement of the intelligence and creativity and desire to want to change a situation. Um, there is this uh, willingness to want to categorize uh, men, women, and children in poverty situations as being lazy needing to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps that need to be self-made people. Uh, I did it. Why can't you? And so it is, um, we need to acknowledge these unhelpful stereotypes that we have about the poor, but that translates into our solutions, right? At the same time though, uh, for my friends on the left, I'm also greatly remiss of how uh, the poor are viewed as uh, persons, objects um, for an end. For instance, uh, in the uh, discussion about the Affordable Care Act, okay, uh, nationwide, and then uh, what is called our, uh, the private option here in Arkansas. There is this insistence um, that, you know, everybody needs free access to health care, right? And that um, men, women, and children, you know, we've got like our kids, right? And, you know, with a private option, okay? Uh, that persons in poverty uh, need access to free health care, okay? In order to access this health care, though, all right. Uh, these persons are going to need to have to access some type of government agency. And so uh, Department of Health and Human Services. All right. Uh, they're going to need to access that like they have to access uh, applying for food stamps, getting SSI or Social Security. Right. And so we need to create a situation, put laws in place, policy in place, laws in place in order that persons impoverished situations are able to access um, these services. And then in the same breath, and, and, and I'm making this these statements to, for our understanding of the poor, but then uh, the same persons uh, that make the argument for the poor need to be able to have access to these services are for some reason, cannot um, or do not possess the ability or the willingness or the opportunity um, to access government service to get an ID to go vote. 
All right. So which is it? Are the poor able to access all government services? Okay. Or are the poor only capable to access some services? And for whatever reason, all right, they're not able to access other government services. If the poor are able to access services to get food stamps, to get SSI, to get public housing, are they not also able and capable of accessing the same state government services to get an ID to vote? Like we can't use the poor for our uh, a political chess game. And so uh, for persons on the left and persons on the right, all right, um, we have to consider the poor as persons and persons who have the capability to accomplish things when given the opportunity. Moving to this idea of mitigating circumstances. All right. Mitigating circumstances. Now, um, I would love for Stephen Meeks to, you know, qualify what he means by mitigating uh, circumstances. Maybe he means um, like a loss of job or uh, a divorce, a health issue. Uh, that's a possibility. Um, he's blocked his Twitter feed. So that, you know, the interaction is, uh, severely limited. Uh, and so what does working hard, how does that relate to the mitigating circumstances? Uh, because the fact of the matter is, um, there are things in place, um, that do inhibit persons from moving out of one economic situation to the next. Okay. There are things in place, regulations, laws that are in place that prevent persons from moving from one economic situation to the next. Now, um, one of the things I I've learned as well, let me draw my dry erase board here. All of us, exist in what I believe uh, four realms, all right? Faith, social setting, an economic, and a political. Now, one of the things I learned was this. In order to help uh, with the communities that we work in, I was doing a lot of this, faith, you know, talking about Christ and uh, putting your faith in Jesus Christ and in eternal life in order to change uh, how you view the world and then moving forward. Okay. Um, I also understood social standings, how we can develop relationships with one another. What does it look like to be a neighbor and help one another? Um, I'm understanding obviously economics and that people need jobs. Uh, people's, uh, in order for a person's standard of living to improve they need the income in order to improve their standing of living one of the things i was hesitant to get into but found it was necessary to get into is the political realm here is where the policies and laws come 
that provide the opportunity for people to flourish or causes people to hit a ceiling. All right. Uh, this book I'm reading, Noose Bomb, uh, she talks about the capabilities approach. And uh, if you followed any of my Meet the Candidates discussions on poverty earlier this year, uh, one of the things I opened up with was the fact that politicians have the opportunity to put obstacles in place or remove obstacles or barriers for the flourishing of human beings. Here's the reality. Democrats and Republicans are both guilty of putting policies in place, creating these mitigating circumstances, preventing people from moving from one economic situation to the next. Yes. Can I give you a little bit of history? All right. 1911. The launch of the minimum wage. The minimum wage was initially launched, and I'll, and I'll give you the references for this. The minimum wage was initially launched for the purpose of pricing blacks out of work opportunities. That was the beginning of the minimum wage. It was meant to price blacks out of work opportunities. As blacks especially were beginning to move north in the northern migration, it was incumbent to set up a wage situation in which more whites were given opportunities to work and not pay blacks. Okay. Another thing. Um, it's uh, racist origins was uh, certifications to do particular jobs, uh, occupational licensure. So think about hairdressers, think about, you know, persons that do nails and things like that. Once again, that was instituted to price free blacks and blacks, especially as they were moving to the Midwest out of job opportunities. Uh, helpful was Walter Williams who hit me up to the game on that. You know, obviously, uh, there's been other situations, um, you know, with tax code and things like that, where uh, persons on both sides, parties on both sides, have done things, have instituted policies and laws in order to prevent persons from flourishing as human beings. So obviously it was enshrined in the Constitution, Jim Crow, segregation. You know, we talk about minimum wage. We've talked about um, uh, occupational licensure and, and a host of other things. We can get into today. My sister sent a, a video to me about a ministry in the Midwest um, who was seeking to provide food to homeless people around the city. And apparently, because of regulation uh, by the Health and Human Services of that area, uh, police went out and told them that they couldn't serve the food. Uh, bleach was poured on the food. 
So these are regulations that were put in place by a government agency that are impacting persons who are homeless and who are in need of food. These are mitigating circumstances that I would argue uh, both parties are culpable of. All right. And and need to own. We can look at zoning in regards to housing and the way housing is set up, even in our own city. Uh, if you look at a map and the way housing is set up um, in the history of zoning, look at the history of of how your neighborhoods got the way they are. There's a there's a history behind that. And so even zoning prevents certain houses from being made. Zoning prevents certain uh, uh, income type houses from being made uh, and placed in certain areas. Zoning, you know, one of the things we've been fighting in Conway uh, creates a severe barrier as to why homeless shelters can't be open. Uh, These are regulations, policies that have been put place, not just by, you know, cold hearted, uh, quote unquote, Bible thumping conservatives or Republicans, but it's been done by uh, persons on the left as well. So I don't I think that we should be a little bit more honest about how we can address poverty situations. And so solutions. Solutions is a big thing, okay? Uh, and, and I firmly believe that uh, the best solutions come from those who are in the situation and who are nearest to the situation. Uh, I, I adopt what is um, heavily talked about in the Catholic Church of subsidiarity, that solutions that are occurring at the, the lowest level, okay, have the greatest benefit, are the most effective and the most efficient um, in terms of helping people or addressing a problem. So, uh, for instance, um, to address um, food, okay, for instance, uh, in Oakwood, okay, that was one of the communities that we serve, a garden was created, but that was a solution that came from a a person that lived in the community who wanted to work with our organization. And then we brought together other organizations, created a garden, and it addressed the need at the local level. Okay. Um, If more resources are required, um, then it kind of, it, it kind of ramps up. But the goal is, is how can we keep this, as near to the people um, that the solution is helping, but also those persons that are being helped, that they are involved in uh, the situation. And so uh, it's important that we take that in consideration. Solutions have to not be paternalistic. Solutions have to require that those persons that are being helped have as much buy-in 
as those who have a great deal of resources. Okay. Um, so I bring something to the table, uh, to family members, to households from the community. They're bringing something to the table. Everybody is bringing something to, uh, the table in order that persons would be helped. Solutions. So how do we address poverty? Now, there's three solutions that are running across um, America and that are that are in our local context of Arkansas and Faulkner County. Um, Traditionally, uh, and now I want to look at the economic situation here. Our context is one of capitalism. All right. I e the free market. Okay. So the free market comes in and it says, "Hey, you know, there's a need. Try a race. Need something to write on? I'm going to provide you this need. Expo marker, right?" Okay, you're like, hey, I want to buy that. Okay, I'm like, cool, it's $20, right? Somebody else comes along and is like, hey, I've got a dry erase marker. I'll sell it to you for $5. And the quality of this marker is better than the quality of this marker. All right, so you've got a decision to make, right? But also, I've got a decision to make because my competition is selling this for $5. I'm selling this for, I think I said $20. So I, I I have some options, okay? I can lower my price, all right? I can lower my price. I can create a better quality pin, okay? But that's going to cost me something. If I want to stay in business, I'm going to have to respond to this market force here, all right? The market force of one, there's a better, cheaper product in the environment. Two, more people are coming here, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I've got to adapt or I'm going to be out of business, all right? But then what can happen is somebody else can come along and be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you a fat one, but also I'm going to give you a thin one, and I'll give you a fat one and a thin one, for three bucks. And so now, you know, I've got this, I've got to respond. Now, this business has to respond to this one, right? And in this, having three different type of entities in the market, okay, a lot of things are happening here. Now, I'm not going to get into the to the weeds of profits and uh and all that kind of stuff. I just want to show you, this is the system uh, that America pretty much has been functioning in, okay? Uh, Now, borrowing from my Expo Marker illustration again, uh, and so with capitalism, then I'm like, okay, as the owner, I've got to pay the people that are making this pen, right? So I've got to pay somebody a wage. They've got to pay somebody a wage. They've got to pay somebody a wage. 
because that's the only way it's going to get made. So the question becomes, uh, for myself, how much do I want to pay said individual? All right, here, here, here. Now, here's how market forces work again. I could say, okay, I'm going to pay the person I'm employing $1, okay? No, we'll make it $2, okay? So he's getting 10%, all right? I keep the rest, okay? Cool, all right? This business, they're saying, hey, you know what? We're making enough. I'm going to charge you, I'm going to pay you $3, all right? And then the person over here is like, well, shoot, I'm going to pay y'all $5, right? Now, I, as a uh, as a person looking for a job, I got to look at, you know, do I want to make $1? Do I want to make $3? Or do I want to make $5? You know, and I'm like, well, I think I want to make this much. And that's fine, right? Somebody else is like, yeah, I want to make that much. Somebody else want to make that what much. Now, the other thing that we have to consider is I, as the hirer, I can say, hey, I, the person I'm looking for needs to have A, B, and C, all right, because of the amount that I'm paying. The person over here can say, hey, I want A, B, and C. And the person over here says, hey, I want A, B, and C. Out of that, you're going to have three different persons making three different incomes. And now, once again, we're still in the free market uh, understanding. So this person is making a dollar. Uh, this person is making $3. This person is making $5. Now, I haven't got into, is it by hour? Is it by production or anything like that? All right. Um, simply saying, this is what I'm going to pay you. Now, if it's per hour, all right, part of that is how much can I afford to pay this individual per hour, this individual per hour, and how much this person is going to pay uh, per hour. But at the end of the day, at the end of two weeks, when ch paychecks go out, three different people are going to go to the bank of Joe, okay? And they're going to deposit more than likely three different amounts, okay? So, somebody in there, according to our understanding, is going to be poor. Who is it? Now, I don't know what he's doing or she's doing with her paycheck. I don't know what he or she's doing with her paycheck. I don't know what he or she is doing with his or her paycheck. All right. All I know is you've done what we've agreed upon. I give you that paycheck. I, you and I have met our obligations to one another. Okay. Next, there's this idea of uh, social democracy. Now, social democracy, and and I'm gonna get here. Socialism, I would argue, are not the same things. Okay, um, social democracy still depends on capitalism. Okay, it still depends on the free market. With that said, we talk about a social safety net, okay? Whatever that is, all right? 
And so let us determine that the basic needs for a person or a household is shelter, is food, and a job, and lights, those four things, all right? Shelter, food, lights, and a job, okay? I, I nail those things because DHS can come and take your kids if you don't have a good house, we don't have food, we don't have lights, all right? I got it, abuse, obviously, but...